Section 10 of Religious Studies, Sketches, and Poems. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wendy Clendenin, Turlock, California. Religious Studies, Sketches, and Poems by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Section 10. Our Lord's Bible. The Life of Jesus, regarded from a mere human point of view, presents an astonishing problem. An obscure man in an obscure province has revolutionized the world. Every letter and public document of the most cultured nations dates from his birth as a new era. How was this man educated? We find he had no access to the Greek and Roman literature. Jesus was emphatically a man of one book. That book was the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament was his Bible, and this single consideration must invest it with undying interest for us. We read the Bible which our parents read. We see, perhaps, pencil marks here and there, which show what they loved and what helped and comforted them in the days of their life struggle, and the Bible is dearer to us on that account. Then going backward along the bright pathway of the sainted and blessed who lived in former ages, the Bible becomes diviner to us for their sake. The Bible of the Martyrs, the Bible of the Waldenses, the Bible of Luther and Calvin, of our Pilgrim Fathers, has a double value. I have in my possession a very ancient black-letter edition of the Bible printed in 1522, more than 300 years ago. In this edition, many of the Psalms have been read and re-read till the paper is almost worn away. Some human heart, some suffering soul has taken deep comfort here. If to have been the favorite intimate friend of the greatest number of hearts can be an ambition worthy of a poet, David has gained a loftier place than any poet who ever wrote. He has lived next to the heart of men and women and children of all ages, in all climes, in all times and seasons, over all the earth. They have rejoiced and wept, prayed and struggled, lived and died, with David's words in their mouths. His heart has become the universal Christian heart, and will ever be, till earth's sorrows and earth itself are a vanished dream. It is too much the fashion of this day to speak slightingly of the Old Testament, Apart from its grandeur, its purity, its tenderness and majesty, the Old Testament has this peculiar interest to the Christian. It was the Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a man, Jesus had a human life to live, a human experience to undergo. For thirty silent years he was known among men only as a carpenter in Nazareth, and the scriptures of the Old Testament were his daily companions. When he emerges into public life, we find him thoroughly versed in the scriptures, Allusions to them are constant. Through all his discourses, he continually refers to them as writings that reflect his own image. Search the scriptures, he says, for they are they that testify of me. The Psalms of David were to Jesus all in more than they can be to any other son of man. In certain of them, he saw himself and his future life, his trials, conflicts, sufferings, resurrection, and final triumph foreshadowed. He quoted them, to confound his enemies when they sought to puzzle him with perplexing questions, he met them with others equally difficult, drawn from the scriptures. He asked them, What ye think of the Messiah, whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So when they ask the question, which is the greatest commandment of all, he answers by placing together two passages in the Old Testament, 
the one commanding supreme love to God, and the other impartial love to man's neighbor. The greatest commandment of all nowhere stands in the Old Testament exactly as Jesus quotes it, the first part being found in Deuteronomy 6.5 and the second in Leviticus 19.18. This is a specimen of the exhaustive manner in which he studied and used the scriptures. Our Savior quotes often also from the prophets. In his first public appearance in his native village, he goes into the synagogue and reads from Isaiah. When they question and disbelieve, he answers them by pointed allusions to the stories of Naaman the Syrian and the widow of Sarepta. When the Sadducees raise the question of a future life, he replies by quoting from the Pentateuch that God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all are alive to him. He cites the history of Jonah as a symbol of his own death and resurrection, and at the last moment of his trial before the high priest, when adjured to say whether he be the Christ or not, he replies in words that recall the sublime predictions in the book of Daniel of the coming Messiah to judgment. The prophet says, I saw in my vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away or be destroyed. When the high priest of the Jews said to Jesus, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Messiah or not, he answered, I am, and thereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So much was the character of our Lord's teaching, colored and impregnated by the writings of the Old Testament, that it is impossible fully to comprehend Jesus without an intimate knowledge of them. To study the life of Christ without the Hebrew scriptures is to study a flower without studying the plant from which it sprung, the root and leaves which nourished it. He continually spoke of himself as a being destined to fulfill what had gone before. Think not, he said, that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He frequently spoke of himself as of the order and race of Jewish prophets. Like them, he performed symbolic acts which were visible prophecies, as when he knew his nation had finally rejected him, he signified their doom by the awful sign of the blasted fig tree. Through all the last days of Jesus, as his death approaches, we find continual references to the Old Testament prophecies and quotations from them. And after his resurrection, when he appears to his disciples, he opens to them the scriptures, that talk on the way to Emmaus was an explanation of the prophecies by our Lord himself. Would that it had been recorded. Would not our hearts, too, have burned within us? Now a book that was in life and in death so dear to our Lord, a book which he interpreted as from first to last a preparation for and prophecy of himself, cannot be but full of interest to us Christians. When we read the Old Testament scriptures, we go along a track that we know Jesus and his mother must often have trod together. The great resemblance in style between the Song of Mary and the Psalms of David is one of the few indications given in Holy Writ of the veiled and holy mystery of his mother's life. She was a poetess, a prophetess, one whose mind was capable of the highest ecstasy of inspiration. Let us read the Psalms again with the thought in our mind that they were the comforters, the counselors of Jesus and Mary. What was so much to them cannot be indifferent to us. Nor did the disciples and apostles, in the glow of the unfolding dispensation, cease to reverence and value those writings so closely studied by their Lord. They did not speak of them as a worn-out thing that had had its day, 
but they alluded to them with the affectionate veneration due to divine oracles. The prophecy came not of old times by the will of man, but holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. St. Paul congratulates Timothy that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation, and adds, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Even while the New Testament was being formed, its writers gave this complete testimony to the Old, as being able to make men wise into salvation, and to complete a man's spiritual education. This book, then, so dear to Christ and his apostles, is something that should be dear to all Christians. Its study will enrich the soul. It is wonderful, mysterious, unique. There is no sacred book like it in the world. And in reading it, we come nearer to him who was foretold by it, and who, when he came upon the earth, found in it nourishment for his soul, instruction and spiritual refreshment by the wayside, comfort even in the extreme agonies of a dreadful death. However dear to us may be the story of his life in the Gospels and his teachings through his apostles and their epistles, let us, in following his steps, forget not the scriptures which he bade us search, but diligently read and love the Bible of our Lord. End of section 10